Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today on this somber day with heavy hearts. We ask that you would speak to us. Speak to us that we might hear your voice and respond. We ask this in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The theme of Jonah has been hearing the voice of God and responding. Right, we saw that last week. We saw last week that Jonah heard God's voice again, and this time he chose to listen. And we also saw that the Ninevites heard God's voice and chose to listen. Life is about hearing and listening and responding to God. Like I said last week, Jonah would not have taken that message to Nineveh had God not wanted Nineveh to hear. If it was just about destroying Nineveh, why would he have had to send someone to tell them? It's because that's not what God wanted. He wanted Nineveh to respond. He wanted Nineveh to hear. Just like he wants everyone today to hear his voice. But it's not enough just to hear. It's not just enough for it to go into our head. What God tells us needs to go from our head, right, to our heart. We need to know God in our head and heart. And not just us, even Jonah, as we're going to see today, needed to know God in his head and his heart. If you want to open up to Jonah chapter 4, it's page 1325 in the Pew Bible. It will also be up here on the screen. We're going to see how the story ends. We pick up at the end of chapter 3. And chapter 4 basically flows right in from chapter 3. There's no change of scene. There's no break or anything. And in chapter 3, remember God had sent his word to Jonah and Jonah responded. And then Nineveh responded. And Nineveh repented. Because their, Nineveh's king heard God's word, and he responded by repenting. And he asked his people to also repent. Now, this is the thing. This, in chapter 3, is usually where the story ends, right? If you go get any children's Bible, maybe not so much now, but at least when I was a kid and any older ones, Jonah ends at chapter 3. You don't ever hear the next chapter. The story of Jonah is told to children God might ask you to do something. And when he asks you, you need to do what he asks. And he might ask you to go to Africa and be a missionary. Just like Jonah was asked to be a missionary somewhere. And you should respond because people might be saved. That's usually the story of Jonah. In fact, I did a paper in college on chapter 4. At Huntington as an undergraduate, as a sophomore. And I was so perplexed by chapter 4 that I wrote this paper on it. And I remember that I said something similar to what I'm going to talk about today. And then my professor wrote on my paper, what about doing what God calls you to do? 
as one of the applications of chapter 4. It's so ingrained in our brain. And yes, it's true. That is part of the message of Jonah. But it's not the foundational message. So let's see how Jonah responds and how the story ends. Chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Okay, what is this? This is responding to what happened in chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, that is Nineveh, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So Jonah responds by saying, this seemed wrong. Now that word wrong to us doesn't quite give the punch it should. In chapter 10 of or verse 3 of chapter Verse 10 of chapter 3, it says that God saw that Nineveh, Nineveh turned from their evil ways. So that word is ra'ah or raw, the opposite of good. Remember, God created the, created the earth with tov, goodness, order, purpose. The opposite of that is chaos, when humans rebel. So God saw that Nineveh had repented from their chaos to return to tov. But now Jonah... He looks and he says, this seemed wrong, or actually this seemed raw. The word is actually raw there. So Jonah thinks that what God did was evil or wrong. God was endorsing the chaos. And God was actually choosing chaos because he's, he saved them. And because of that, he's very angry. So this is Jonah's heart. He's angry because he believes that God has done something wrong. By forgiving Nineveh. And this is what he says to God. He's prayed in verse uh, 2 of chapter 4. He prayed to the Lord. He said, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. A slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now the truth comes out. The real reason Jonah ran, it wasn't because he thought he'd be considered a traitor. It wasn't because he thought that the Ninevites might kill him. It wasn't because the journey was too far. It's because he didn't want Nineveh to hear the message. Because he knew that God was compassionate. We just read in Psalm 145, one of the foundational psalms of the Jewish people about God being compassionate. And Israel knew this because how many times is God compassionate to them? So many times. And Jonah knew it. He knew in his head that God was compassionate. But he didn't have in his heart the way of God because he did not want God to show compassion on the Ninevites. So how is it that Jonah can be the hero of the story? How? He's the one person who never seems to be doing what God is asking. The sailors are, ref- are fearful of God. The Ninevites are fearful of God. Jonah runs. Jonah knows that God is compassionate. Jonah is saved by God. Jonah still runs. Jonah goes, but he's not happy when God does what he knew would happen. Jonah's heart was not matched up with his head. He had the right things to say. Like I said, he basically quotes from the psalm in here. He quotes what the Jewish people believed about God. 
but it wasn't in his heart. We need to know God with our head and heart. Do you know God with your heart? Jonah didn't, or he needed to be reminded. Because look what he says next in verse 3. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What Jonah is saying here is, God, if this is the world that you want me to live in, a world, if this is the world that you're trying to make, Remember, Israel is supposed to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They're supposed to take the garden back to the people of the world. The garden is a place of compassion. The place of God in the way of Jesus is a place where love and compassion reign. But Jonah didn't want to be a part of that world. A world where people like Nineveh get saved. So he'd rather die. We need to know God with our head and heart. Jonah needed to be reminded. Is our heart in line with the way of Jesus? Is our heart lined up with what God wants for the world? It means we must listen and respond. We have to know it in our head, but it has to be in our heart. So how does God respond to Jonah's request? This is what he says. But the Lord replied, he doesn't even say anything about him wanting to die. He just says, is it right for you to be angry? Now that word right is actually the word tov. Remember that tov, the opposite of ra'ah or ra? Is it good, Jonah, is it good as a part of ordered world for you to be upset about this? There are times when it is appropriate to be upset about injustice in the world. But what God is asking Jonah is, is this one of those times where my justice is on your side? But what's interesting is Jonah doesn't actually respond. And the author of Jonah, instead now he shifts the story. and He does a little bit of a flashback. He rewinds the tape and he shows us how Jonah learns about what's happening with Nineveh. And this is part of the story. So this is how it continues in verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city where he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So now Jonah has finished his preaching. Remember, it said it would take about three days. He probably went in on the east side or the west side. The west side was closer to where he'd come from. He goes out on the east side. He goes up, and he's going to see what happens. So he builds a shelter. So uh, Nineveh is in the middle of a desert. There's not really trees. There's maybe some bushes. There's not much to build a shelter. It would barely be a shelter, but he's trying to protect himself from the hot sun. He's going to see what happens. He's going to see if Nineveh gets destroyed because he's hoping that's what happens, remember? So this is what happens. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. So God sends Jonah this plant. Part of the, part of the country he was in, there's probably not much to put on the roof of the shelter. So he's hoping to block himself from the sun. But this nice little plant comes and it provides shelter. Jonah's very happy about this plant. And even in the story, it's a little glimmer of God's grace. 
Even in the midst of Jonah's stewing, God is showing him mercy with this plant. But this is what happens next. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. Now, if we garden, if you garden, you know that any plant, and they think this was some sort of gourd plant. And those plants, you know, are notorious, right, for being attacked by bugs. We have some right now. If there's something to eat, they will find it. So this plant dies. And it's even presented to us in the story as God had given a blessing, but now he takes it away. But it's all part of the story. So let's see what happens next. So when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed in Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. So now we have that same line. But now it's about this plant, this plant that was planted that gave him relief, and then it died. And so he's angry because now he's in the wind and he's uncomfortable and it's hot. Remember, he's only there to see what will happen. He doesn't even need to be there. He wants to see what's going to happen. And he wants to die. So now God speaks again. But God said to Jonah, again, there it is. Is it right? Is it good? Is it tov for you to be angry about the plant? This question comes up again. Anytime that something like this is repeated in the passage, it's really important. This question is almost word for word identical. It's central to the question of what this passage is about. If God speaks to us through his word, we must learn to read it well, right? Repetition it was one of the first things I learned about interpreting the Bible. Again, when I was in school. So Jonah responds this time to God's question. This is what he says. He says, it is, it is good for me to be angry. And I am so angry, I wish I were dead. Again, we have that line. So this time, God does answer. This is what he says. He says, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. So now God says, look, Jonah, you've been concerned or actually the word is more means you've had pity. He's very upset about this plant. And God points out you've had almost no investment in it, meaning you did not work to grow it, you did not do anything. It just grew to your benefit. And now you're angry that it has died. And then this is what God says next. I know we've read it, but let's read it again. Verse 11. This is what he says in response. He says, and should I not have concern or take pity for the great city of Nineveh in which there are many or in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals and that's how the book ends with that question to Jonah but what's interesting God, God doesn't actually criticize Jonah for being angry about the plant it's almost as if God says, yes, it's okay to be angry about the plant. Because the plant was something that I created that died, and that's not good. But what God says is, if it's okay for you to be angry about this plant, how much more should I be concerned about a bunch of people who do not know, it says they're left from their right, which is a, a way of saying in the ancient world, 
They don't know what's right from wrong. They're completely lost. They need guidance. Why shouldn't I take pity on those people and, and show them the way of God? I've given that to you, Israel. Your real job is to show it to them, but you're not going to, so I'll show them pity and hope that they learn the way. Now, this is what Jonah missed. He knew in his head that God showed compassion. But again, in his heart, he did not have his mind and his heart aligned with God and God's will and the way of God. We need to know God with our head and heart. So this is how the story ends. We don't know how Jonah responds. We don't know if he grows from the experience. We don't know what happens. The story ends this way on purpose because we're supposed to be Jonah. This is the question that's then posed to us and we have to decide how we're going to respond. We need to know God with our head and heart. Jonah knew God with his head. He knew just what to say about God. Remember, he could quote that psalm. But he missed what God was wanting to do with Nineveh. And he even wanted to stand in the way of what God was going to do. But God wasn't going to let that happen. He wasn't going to let Jonah run. He wasn't going to let Jonah jump into the sea to his death. Instead, he was going to ask Jonah to go back. And now he was going to ask Jonah to consider that maybe his heart needed to be lined up with God's heart. We need to know God with our head and our heart. What this really comes down to is that Jonah didn't have the mission in the way of the kingdom of God in his heart. So the story that we tell when we gather on the day of the Lord, as we sang at the beginning, which Christians early on began to meet on what they called the Lord's Day, the day of the resurrection. And one of the main reasons they met was to celebrate the resurrection. When we receive communion, which we did last week, we retell, right, the story of resurrection. It's one reason so many Christian traditions do that every week. Because that's the story that shapes everything. And if we want to hear God speaking, that is where we go first, to that story. The story that he's told us, this is life. I've already solved the problem of evil. All I'm asking you to do is to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. To go and be people that have compassion and show love to others. He's already defeated the enemy. Jesus has already resurrected from the dead and defeated sin and death. When you read Revelation, there's no battle, right? The forces of evil line up, but then it's over. It's because the battle's already been won. And God is now there, ready to rescue those who want to follow him and be a part of his kingdom. The kingdom may be established. And he says, we need to know God with our head and heart. Your heart needs to be shaped like the kingdom. The way I always say that is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is about learning to live the kingdom. It's about being the kingdom in the world. 
When we gather, we are an embassy of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is in this world because we exist. And we all come to worship and then are sent back out into the world to live our lives, to live simple, obedient lives. The way of Jesus comes through simple obedience. It's the daily grind of being obedient, of knowing those decisions that you have to make and deciding to make them. That it requires your heart and your head to be lined up. We need to know God with our head and our heart. Are we being shaped by the way of Jesus? Are we people ready to live in the kingdom of God? Because this is the thing, the kingdom is already here. Jesus left and he said, I have established my kingdom. And when I return, it will be completed. I will do away with sin and death forever. But right now, we get to live from the future today. We live with that taste of the kingdom in this world. But it requires our hearts and our heads to know God. We need to know God with our head and our heart. We can't be like Jonah. He's the person we don't want to be. Hopefully he got it, and it's just a great story that teaches us to learn from his mistakes. Because we need to know God in our head and our heart. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we have this whole story before us. The story of how you are our creator You've ordered the world. You've created us to be your partners in seeing the world flourish, but that we've walked away from that partnership in rebellion. And that you've invited us back. And you provided a way for our, us to solve that problem. And you invite us to live in a life that we call a life in the spirit, a life when your son is guiding us in which you dwell in us and you empower us in ways that we cannot on our own live. And that story is now, though there is still sin and death in the world, and though we live in this overlap where the brokenness of the world is still existing, we are people that get a point towards the hope of the resurrection. And we get to live faithfully in that middle ground while we wait for your son's return. And while we do the simple work of making daily choices to bring the kingdom to the world by how we live, by how we order our lives, how we view tragedy, Lord, may you help line up our heads and our hearts, especially today as we think of the tragedy that we've experienced in our own community. May our heart be lined up to grieve that we live in a world that still is affected by sin and death. But may we live with that hope, that knowing that your son has defeated sin and death and that resurrection will bring full defeat. And that those whom we love or who are in you will be resurrected and we will all be with you in a world free from sin and death. May that story be in our head and in our heart. And may we live by it. We ask this all, Father, in the name of your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.